and welcome in everybody to episode 84 of the Sports Gospel. We're happy to be back here with you, Darren and Andrew. A loaded show for you this week. We're going to focus a lot on college football now that the playoff is here. The bowl schedule has been announced and we have some Heisman candidates. We're going to get to all that. We have Andrew's bi-weekly NBA top five, his power rankings there. We're going to look at some NFC quarterback situations, which got much more exciting this week with one team in particular. I've got a little bit of a basketball-related trivia game for Andrew that he doesn't know about till now. And we're going to touch base on the UFC. We haven't got UFC in here for a while, so we're going to kind of do a end-of-the-year roundup. And I did a lot of research last night, which may not always sound that way on the show, but I took a lot of notes, had this whole thing planned, and then promptly left my notes at my for-pay job, not my for-fun podcasting job. So shooting from the hip a little bit more than I planned to 24 hours ago. Well... We'll see how good your memory is based off those notes that you took. So we'll we'll find out. I remember being really excited about the playoff. And that's where we're going to start here. Our top four teams, Georgia, not surprisingly, number one. Michigan, not surprisingly, two. TCU, maybe a little bit of a surprise sitting in there at three. And Ohio State getting in there at four. So your playoff games, Georgia will play Ohio State in... I think this is a fantastic matchup. I just want to go on record. I understand the four they put in there, and I like how they did this. I get that there's the complaint or conspiracy theory that Ohio State-Michigan, they were trying to avoid that matchup at all costs. I was a little worried that with TCU losing, they would fall down to that four. But I think this is where the best matchups are. That Georgia defense versus the Ohio State offense, I think it's the best offense versus the best defense. I'm excited to see what C.J. Stroud and company can do against that Georgia defense that we really haven't seen anybody in the last two years be able to do anything to that Georgia defense. They even shut Alabama down when it mattered most. But Ohio State has all those weapons, all those wide receivers that are going to be NFL players. So we'll start first there. You've got Georgia versus Ohio State in playoff game number one. Yeah, and just a few comments before we dive too deep into this one. I really think this playoff was arranged so that we didn't have a Michigan-Ohio State rematch. Um, That's why we see TCU at three, although I really think they're the fourth team in this equation. But they're at number three just for the purpose of TV ratings, if you will. And wanting to get a Georgia-Ohio State matchup is really how how I feel about how the playoff was organized. So that said, Georgia, Ohio State, like you mentioned, Ohio State has all those receivers, C.J. Stroud, but that Georgia defense is seemingly reloaded, and that's as close to an NFL defense as you're going to see out there on a college football field this year. Jalen Carter and others. I mean, Jalen Carter's the big name on that defense, I think. But also – when it comes to the Georgia offense, they have plenty of offense themselves. Maybe not the top-end wide receivers that Ohio State has, but you've got Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington at the tight end spot, and then Stetson Bennett, who led them to a championship last year and has been sensational this year. I think Georgia just has a few too many horses, and their defense is kind of the difference in this game. I think the line that I've seen in this game is Georgia by nine and a half. I know it's probably floating around there somewhere right now. And I, I really feel that Georgia is big enough and physical enough to cover that spread. You looked at the, at that Michigan, Ohio state game, eventually Michigan overtook Ohio state on both sides of the 
offensive and defensive line. And I think Georgia's in a similar spot to be the more physically dominant team. Um, although Ohio State can't put up points quickly with the wide receivers that they have, but I think Georgia is just a more physically imposing team, and, and that should reveal itself pretty easily in this one. I do wonder mentally where Ohio State is after the drubbing they took at Michigan. They were they were down on the canvas. The fourth quarter of that one, once Michigan had it in hand, Ohio State threw in the towel. They were just running out the clock, so that score made things look a little bit uglier than it may have been through three three and a half quarters. I nobody has really stopped them other than Michigan. They weirdly had a low scoring game against Northwestern, but this Ohio State team is used to hanging forty five or fifty points on them, and Georgia. The most they gave up all year was 30 points against LSU. Otherwise, a lot of a lot of single-digit games. So NFL offense versus NFL defense. Jalen Carter and C.J. Stroud are going to be two of the top five picks in this year's draft. Jackson Smith and Jigba won't be too far behind those guys. And I think it's next year maybe Marvin Harrison Jr. can come out and join that group. We'll, we'll talk about this game a little bit more as we get closer. We have a couple weeks to analyze it. But as we're sitting here today... I feel like it's going to be that Georgia defense. I think Ohio State's going to score, but I have it like a 34-28 Georgia game right now as I sit here just kind of off the cuff. I'm thinking more like a 34-20 type of ball game. Um, I'm just really feeling the the Georgia defense and think that that will be the big difference in that game. And the other one that I would say is probably a little bit closer game Michigan and TCU, the big thing here, Blake Corum will not be there, but their backup running back who came in and ran all over Ohio State and then was good in the Big Ten title game. It's it's Michigan. They're, it's it's like Alabama who is going to have players sitting out of the bowl game. They still recruit five-star guys. They still have five-star guys coming off the bench. They just don't have the reps yet. I think this is going to be a tremendous game. I want all the offense in the world. I think, I think there's concern that Michigan will be able to stymie TCU with the better defense. TCU is this fun shootout game. They came up short in their Big 12 title game, but they have, they've they've been in nail-biters all year long. It's kind of been their MO, so they're going to get down late. Or if they do get down late, they're not going to they're not gonna worry. Kind of like the Kansas City Chiefs in the NFL. You feel like Kansas City doesn't really care until there's five minutes left in the game, and then they turn it on. I think we're going to have a barn burner here. This may be my most intriguing matchup. We'll get to our top five non-playoff bowl games here in a bit. But give me this TCU Michigan game all day long. Huge fan of both of these teams. My my heart wants TCU to win so bad, but my head tells me Michigan's going to come out on top. Yeah. Um, personally, I I don't really. I really think Georgia and Michigan are the best two teams in college football from what I've seen. TCU, great story but they've barely skated by in the big 12. They've had a few close calls and I don't mean to demean the big 12, but I really think that Michigan's the more tested team definitely played a tougher schedule than TCU. And I really think they have a few more horses than TCU. I don't necessarily envision this one being close at all either. I really think we're getting a Michigan, Georgia national champion and like you said no Blake Corum but Donovan Edwards Ronnie Bell Cornelius Johnson JJ McCarthy had a sensational performance against Ohio State he's rolling at the right time he also had a a great performance in the Big Ten championship as well and 
I'm very skeptical of that TCU defense. I, I think it's been good enough to get them through the Big 12 slate. They failed a little bit against Kansas State. And really, I think Michigan is a souped-up version of that Kansas State team that TCU had problems with. You have McCarthy at quarterback who's better than what Kansas State was rolling out there. And I, I really just feel like Michigan is a, a far superior version of that Kansas State team that TCU had a lot of struggles with. So I don't necessarily envision either one of these games being all that close. And I'm going to go with Georgia and Michigan to win heavily and, and cover the spreads in both scenarios. Oh, I I want a fun blow not, not a blowout, a fun down-to-the-wire game, TCU-Michigan. I want like a 45-42, probably going to be Michigan, but I want that kind of a game. Uh, have the history of the first-round matchups here per Wikipedia's scientific method. They're a mixed bag. We have a lot of blowouts have happened in the first round, you know, 59 to 20, 38 to 0, 31 0. Even last year, 27 to 6 and 34 to 11. But then you also have, you know, Clemson, Ohio State was 29 23, 45 34. We had a double overtime between Georgia and Oklahoma a couple of years ago. So these playoff games can go any which way, which I think is part of the fun of it. Yeah. I- I think that 45-34 you mentioned, I, I forget exactly who that was. I could see that being a, a definite possibility for this Michigan game. Michigan still covers um, in that scenario, I believe. But I could I could see that type of a game for sure. Um, I think the national championship, if, if we do get Georgia-Michigan, that is definitely going to be a thrilling game. I think those teams match up pretty well. Um, Michigan probably doesn't have the same defense as they had last year. Obviously not with Hutchinson and, and David Ajabo um, gone to the NFL, but I think they're still good and they're still good enough. They're good at, better offensively this year and they're going to be able to hang with, with Georgia, I think, in that regard. So I think the national championship will be a better overall game than what we might see here in the in the semifinals. So using the same Wikipedia page, we've had eight years of the playoff. This is the ninth year. In the first eight years, the one seed has beaten the four six out of eight times. And the two and three, we've had the three seed win one, two, three, four. So it's an even split. The two and three are 50-50 over who wins. And then your national champion, last year's Georgia team is the only three seed that's won. The top overall seed has only won twice. The two seed with the most, the two seeds have won three times. And then you had two four seeds that won Alabama and Ohio State, which is what really concerns me is this Ohio State. That's why I ask, are they going to be flat after the Michigan game? Or are they going to come out angry and firing on all cylinders where they're going to catch fire like they did the first year we had the playoff in 2014? Killed Wisconsin, won their first round playoff game. They, they had a decent close game with Alabama and then beat up on Oregon. That's what worries me. Ohio State is capable of that. They've done it before. But then the numbers all across the board, one through four, almost equal chance to win it. Yeah. As much as I like the Ohio State offense, I don't really like the defense. And a lot of it, it's maybe not the mindset of Ohio State, but maybe the health of Ohio State. We talked about their running backs before and during the season, but 
not having Travion Henderson and not really having Mayon Williams during that Michigan game was a was kind of a big deal for Ohio State because it took the running element kind of out of their offense a little bit. And without that, we think about the passing game of Ohio State, but they were able to run the ball really, really well this year, but weren't able to do so against Michigan because their top two running backs were out, which it's a big loss for them. So it's going to be kind of dependent upon the health of their running backs too. So that could change the whole dynamic of the game for Ohio state. But as it stands right now, I I still like Georgia by quite a bit over Ohio state. We'll, we'll dig into these more as we get closer and who knows what kind of news we'll get for guys sitting out or injuries or transfer portals impacting some of these games. I want to talk about the Heisman here quick. We had the Heisman candidates announced and, a couple of them in the playoff here, C.J. Stroud, Caleb Williams, Max Duggan, and Stetson Bennett are the four. I think those three we kind of all expected with Williams, Duggan, and C.J. Stroud. And then Bennett, he's kind of an interesting case. He's been the quarterback at Georgia for the last two years and also heard the fun stats today that he's somehow older than Lamar Jackson, which is crazy to think about. But the guy feels like your prototypical college quarterback. All he really seems to do is guide that team, doesn't really get a lot of credit for actually being part of their wins. So on one hand, you know, props to him for finally getting recognized, kind of a career achievement and award, but I think he's a distant fourth. I think it will be Caleb Williams, but I don't think it's a surefire thing. And if you did not watch that TCU-Kansas State game, Max Duggan is an absolute warrior. You, That's one of the most heroic Herculean performances I've ever seen out of a player in a college game. He lifted that TCU team on his back. They were down late. He needed to be the man for them, and he... he took that entire team, that entire college on his back and willed them into overtime. I would have given him the ball and let him try to punch it in when they had that goal line stand that went Kansas State's way. But Max Duggan, he could barely stand. like He wanted his guys away from him. He just needed a break and some air. That entire final drive to get it tied up and then to get into overtime, that's that's a Heisman moment. So I, I'm not going to count Max Duggan out. I think he's a long shot. But, man, after that, that K-State TCU game, that is, that's one of the inspirational moments why we all love sports. Yeah, it was quite a per, quite a performance by him. You know, actually covering high school football in the state of Iowa, I've gotten to see Max Duggan play a few times. He's the pride of Council Bluffs, Iowa, and he played a few games in the Des Moines Metro, and I actually got to see him play up close and personal a few times in person, and he was uh, pretty sensational back in high school, as I'm sure you could imagine. That's why he was such a highly touted recruit coming out of high school and chose TCU, and things haven't really gone according to plan for him until this year when everything kind of seemed to fall into place and really good to see him succeed on such a high level and be considered for the Heisman. I don't know. I think if he had been able to help TCU win it and it sucks to say, but I feel like if TCU had pulled out a win that the Heisman would be in his hands, there would be no question it's a little bit of an interesting scenario with the Heisman because we've got Stroud wasn't in his championship game. Caleb Williams went to his championship game, got blown out by Utah. Max Duggan played a close game, but lost. Stetson Bennett went to his championship game and won, but maybe doesn't have the stats of the other three guys. I think Caleb Williams is probably going to win the Heisman. I think he's the favorite. I think he's probably going to win it. If I had a vote, though, I think I'd probably take Max Duggan with my vote. 
that I think you're right on there. Caleb Williams opened the door with TCU getting housed by Utah and him. He was all, yeah, have to talk about the injury a little bit there, stymied him. That really opened the door for Duggan. And I think you, that may be a, proved to be a true point. Had TCU pulled that out with his performance, he may have locked in the Heisman there. Looking at some of the quick numbers here, Caleb Williams leads in yards. CJ Stroud leads in touchdowns. Uh, Max Duggan's in there in the mix on all these numbers as well, just not quite at the tippy top with those guys. Stroud also leads in quarterback rating and 37 touchdowns to only six interceptions. Uh, Caleb Williams, 37 to four. Max Duggan, 30 touchdowns to four interceptions. It's really comparable numbers. They're all top 10 in the ratings. Uh, Duggan a little bit down in the yards. He has 33-21 to Stroud's 33-40, and then Caleb William blows them all away with 4,000 yards. So yeah, been- but Duggan kind of makes up for it with the rushing yards. Maybe that's where you were going right. next. And I think that's kind of the other element there at work, too, is Max Duggan is more dual threat than any of the others, especially Stroud and Bennett. I don't know what kind of Caleb – what Caleb Williams rushing stats look like. Maybe I should have done a little bit of research, but I feel like Duggan blows any of them away in that regard. I was going to let you vamp while I looked either way. I think it's really fun. I don't like when there's prohibitive favorite, like a couple of years ago, we knew Joe Burrow was going to win long before he actually won. I think the Devonte Smith here was kind of fun and wide open last year's kind of a two horse race with Stroud and Bryce young. So I like when it's, yeah. it's wide open like this and can go, I think you're going to see a pretty even split on three votes. Yeah, I, I've also heard some talk of people feeling like certain guys were snubbed from the Heisman finalist, and, and I'm really trying to pick my brain and think about who exactly was snubbed from this. Are we talking about Marvin Harrison Jr.? Are we talking about Blake Corum? Are we talking about who are we talking? Who are we talking about when people say that? someone was snubbed from this year's race. I mean, I could see swapping Stetson Bennett out for someone else. I could, I could understand that. I also understand the frustration that it's kind of become a quarterback award for the most part. It's really just who's the best quarterback on one of the best teams in college football. Um, Other than that, Devonta Smith year that you talked about, and also the frustration with does a defensive player ever have a shot? at winning the Heisman, it doesn't seem like, it seems like they'd have to do something so mind-blowingly insane to even be considered uh, that a defensive player, I'm not sure if we'll ever see it in our lifetime. And we touched on this a little bit last week. I gave a tip of the cap for anybody who may have missed some of those guys you're talking about. And I think it opens the door when you include Stetson Bennett. I think everybody had Stroud, Williams, and Duggan for sure in there. It's like, oh, you had a fourth guy? I think you give five guys that trip to New York and the acclaim to be included in there. Like you mentioned, I think if Blake Corum would have stayed healthy, he would have been there. Guys like Michael Penix and Drake Bay who put up great numbers, but maybe their teams weren't quite in the playoff conversation. Uh, Bijan Robinson, the dual threat out of Texas. Bo Nix, had he stayed healthy, I think was in that conversation for a few weeks. Hendon Hooker's another one. So you take the injured guys like Nix, Hooker, and Corum out of the equation, that's those are guys I think you would have considered had they stayed healthy, what could they have done for their teams? Yeah, I think, I think you make a good point there, but yeah, the injuries really, really changed and impacted this Heisman race a lot. So, so when you're just looking back for some, we like to talk about history on this show. 
some of the guys who have at least gotten invited to New York. I don't think any of these guys were going to win it, but Aiden Hutchinson got an invite last year. Chase Young got invited a couple years before that. Jabril Peppers got invited, but so did D.D. Westbrook that year. I think that was the year that, like, Lamar Jackson, everybody knew he was going to win, so it was just kind of a formality. Trying yeah. to think, I remember Ndamukong Sue having a, leg- a legitimate chance. I was trying to see if there's been anybody since Ndamukong Sue. Uh, I guess uh, Manti Teo got invited. I don't know if he was anywhere close to Johnny Manziel on that one. Uh, the first thing that came to my mind when you said defensive guy winning was Ndamukong Sue, and he was dominant, and he still, I think he came in third that year. Well, the the guy that comes to my mind is Will Anderson last year. Like Br- Bryce Young won it, and I don't. I'm not taking anything away from Bryce Young. I think he was very deserving. But didn't Will Anderson have something like close to 20 sacks last year? And I mean, he wasn't he, he wasn't even really considered. So, um, like that's pretty that's pretty insane. And yeah, the guy that really comes to mind that should have won it probably but didn't was Ndamukong Sue. I think he probably should have won it and probably would have because again his team barely lost the uh conference championship I, I remember watching that game with some with some people and I think they barely lost to, to Texas I believe yeah, in the conference championship so Colt McCoy Texas team maybe does that sound right yeah I think that sounds right a Colt McCoy Texas team beat Ndamukong Sue in the championship. And maybe if uh, Nebraska had prevailed, then Ndamukong Sue wins it. But you never know. But again, I think to your point, uh, not a lot of guys have been considered defensively over the past 10 years. And I'm just not sure what a defensive guy would ever have to do or be capable of doing that they really could have a chance. So. Just, just interesting food for thought. Yeah, it's it's another pick. My my heart wants Max Duggan, but my head says Caleb Williams. Which, if you want to talk about the playoff, he'd only be the second player joining Lamar Jackson to win the Heisman and not be in the playoffs since we started the playoff in the 2014 season. I don't know if that factors in at all to their decision on him. Yeah, I mean, if it does, if you want to go a guy that's in the playoffs who's got the best stats, then that's got to be Duggan. Um, as much as I like Bennett and Stroud, it's it's got to be Duggan. He's, I think, had the best year of the quarterbacks that are in the playoffs. I, I agreed. Yep. We'll get one more quick thing here. Top five bowl games, and if you have yours ready, we can go five by five, or I'll just do my five, and then you can jump in here. But I looked at non-playoff games, non-playoff bowl games that I think are going to be the most fun. And as I did this, I discovered my West Coast Pac-12 bias that I've established uh, is very evident. But going from five to one for me, number five is USC and Tulane in the uh, Cotton Bowl. Tulane getting in there is the highest rated group of five. And I know people are like, wait, Tulane? Who? Why? Just watch them for the sake of the uniforms. I don't know which ones they're going to come out with, but they're fun. You may never see any of these Tulane guys in the NFL, but they, they've had a great season. And USC, the question is, will they be down? I don't think that's a Lincoln-Riley thing. I think his team will get up. They'll be excited for this. Caleb Williams, Jordan Addison, all those guys have something to prove. I think TCU wins, but I think it will be a fun bowl game. That's That and another game we'll get to here earlier, the, uh, the New Year's Six Bowl games. So those are the two I'm looking forward to the most. 
you want to jump in or do you want me to do my five and then your five? I can, I can jump in real quick. I didn't, I didn't quite have a top five prepared. Um, I know everybody in the world's looking forward to Iowa, Kentucky and the music city bowl. Again. I'm just kidding. That's not actually in my top five. I am an Iowa fan, so I will watch it because I'm obligated to, but, uh, it might be in your top five if you don't like offense because is there any quarterbacks left? Uh, for either side, on either no. team. Okay. Yeah, no, and uh, wide receivers and running backs apparently either. So there be. will not be offense. I mean, legitimately, both teams could roll four tight end offenses out there on a New Year's Eve day on on December thirty first at eleven a.m. as a nice prelude to the playoffs. You can watch a nine to six ball game in a bowl game Ooh, in Nashville, Tennessee. Let's go. Um, no, that's not number five. Um, for me, I think I would actually have to go maybe a different route here. And I'm, I'm sort of intrigued by this game between, um, Oh gosh, say it. I was just, I was just had it pulled up. Oregon and North Carolina. I think I'm kind of intrigued by that one. I'm not sure. See, that's kind of the tough thing when you when you do this kind of a thing. I'm not sure who's going to play in that game. Will we see Drake May and Bo Nix? I don't know if we will. Um, that might take a layer of intrigue out of it, but I think that's going to be my number five game. So number four, I a lot of the reasons you just used, I'm going to apply the same thing here. That Alabama-K-State game, I would love for K-State to roll Alabama and thoroughly destroy them in the Sugar Bowl on New Year's Eve. I just don't want Alabama to sit all their guys. It sounds like the Will Andersons and Bryce Youngs, these guys, I, I'm not sure about Jameer Gibbs. If they're all sitting out and it's kind of a paper trophy for Kansas State, I don't love that. I want Alabama full strength. I want angry Nick Saban, and I want Chris Kleiman's boys to go out there and just pummel Alabama this is my favorite New Year Six matchup that's not in the bowl game. I don't really care about Tennessee Clemson because Hendon Hooker's not playing and now DJU's gone. I do like that it's a lot of orange. Utah, Penn State, I don't care about Penn State. But Alabama and K-State, this this is the game that I'm going to try to – this is appointment viewing for me, noon on ESPN on New Year's Eve. Give me the Wildcats over the tide. Got it. So are we going top five non-playoff games or are we including the playoffs here in our top five? No, no playoffs. So the other four, New Year's Six, and then if you want to throw in the Gasparilla or the Jimmy Kimmel Bowl or whatever. Or the Duke's Mayo Bowl, which everybody loves just because of the mayo shower that comes at the end. Isn't NC State playing that every year? Yeah, it seems like they, they do, do, huh? It seems like they do. Um, no, next, uh, next up for me is that USC two-lane game. You talked about you've got Lincoln Riley. I do think Caleb Williams and Jordan Addison will play. And I've watched a couple two-lane games because I'm, I'm a sicko like that. I like that conference. It's a fun conference. Tulane won it, and they were very deserving of winning it. And Tulane actually beat Kansas State. So they're the, the de facto Big 12 champion, aren't they? Tulane, the green wave. Transitive property. Yeah. That's how that works, right? Mm-hmm. Um, another yeah. another interesting aspect for me here with the USC Tulane game is the Tulane uh, offensive coordinator has been rumored in replacing Brian Ferentz at Iowa. So we'll see. I don't know if that's going to happen, but 
I'm intrigued because I know that the two-lane offense has put some points on the board this year, and there's going to be points in this game against Tulane and USC. So that's what makes it my number four game is plenty of points if you like that kind of thing. What's it like to fire your own son? Oh, um, he's not going to be fired from the rumors that I've heard. He's actually going to – there's a lot of word that he's going to go with Bill O'Brien, who he's friends with, back to the NFL as an O-line coach. So – and and that's something that he's actually good at. He's good if he's coaching the O-line or the tight ends. He's not good if he's anything more than that as an offensive coordinator. So um, he will not be fired. He will move on of his own volition, and someone will replace him. And the names I've heard are, are Jim Savoboda, the Tulane offensive coordinator. That's who I was referencing. And Josh Gaddis, who's at Miami right now, but was at Michigan prior. So those are the two names I've heard. I'm not sure if there's any truth to that. Just rumors, just throwing it out there. So Tulane, USC, I'm keeping an eye on that one just because of that factor. My third game, I'm going to go a little off the board. I always like to include at least one mid-major game here. One of the first ones, the Cure Bowl, 3 p.m., December 16th, Troy and UTSA. Really for no other reason than I like celebrating some of these small schools and UTSA scores a bucket of points. I believe they're the highest scoring team, not in the Power 5 Conference. The UTSA was the Conference USA champion. Troy was the Sun Belt champion. Go learn some more about some new college football teams and watch them score a boatload of points. I don't expect much defense in this one and watch that roadrunner offense run. I like it. I like it. Troy and UTSA. I think that'll be a good game. Um, the next game up for me is actually going to be, I'm sort of intrigued by this matchup between Texas and Washington. I, I hope Michael Penix plays and Quinn Ewers. And I think that's enough for me to make that my number three game there, the quarterback matchup between Penix and Ewers. Um, so give me the Alamo Bowl on Thursday night, December 29, as my number three spot. And you beat me to the punch. I had Texas Washington as my number two for basically all the exact same reasons. Alamo Bowl low-key seems to always have matchups. I feel like people don't think about the Alamo Bowl. Once you get outside of New Year's Six, that's kind of the top Pac-12 landing spot. And, and like you mentioned, Quinn Ewers, Michael Penix, let's see some offense. Also the Sark Bowl, if you know, you know. So give me Texas, Washington for all the same reasons you gave. That's my number two. Yeah, I've got some I got some tough choices now because I I left some of the New Year's six out here. Um I'm gonna go ahead and go with I like the Penn State Utah matchup. I think those two teams are kind of similarly built. Uh Utah won the Pac twelve. Penn State was not in the Big Ten, although I feel like they would be in a normal year where we didn't have two playoff contenders in the Big Ten in Michigan and Ohio State. Um, Penn State would definitely be in that running or that race for a Big Ten championship. Like They're they're a very good team. I think Penn State's a very good team. Uh, you got plenty of professional prospects there with um, 
Joey Porter Jr. and others on that defense. And then you've got Cam Rising and TV on Thomas, I believe, on offense for Utah and a team that just whooped up on USC. A lot of people thought were legitimate playoff contenders themselves, and they beat USC twice. So give me a Penn State-Utah matchup in the granddad of them all, the Rose Bowl, as my number two. I'll watch because it's the Rose Bowl. I just I find it hard to get invested in Penn State, and I want Utah to trounce them. My number one is a game that you've already mentioned and again, for a lot of the same reasons, North Carolina and Oregon. I love this matchup. Both teams that may have had some some playoff aspirations at various points in the year. They're going to meet December 28th in the Holiday Bowl that night in San Diego. Bo Nix, Drake May, these are especially Drake May. I think you're going to see Drake May playing on Sunday. I think Bo Nix is going to get a shot, maybe kind of in a Brock Purdy situation, dare I say. Oregon, North Carolina, I see all kinds of points in this one. A lot of Excitement, electricity, that's, if I had to look outside the playoff, that's the game I want the most, Oregon and North Carolina. Nice. Yeah, I I like that one. I couldn't put it higher just because I'm not sure who's going to play. And that's really the thing about bowl season is you're just not sure who's going to play in these bowl games until we get to opt-out season, which is coming up soon. So my number one and I'm going to go with the orangest game ever, yeah. Tennessee-Clemson in the Orange Bowl. Two teams wearing an orange in the Orange Bowl. Bowl of oranges to the winner. <laughs> Loser can't wear orange for another year, I believe, is the handshake agreement. Um, just kidding. I'm not sure about that. But uh, Tennessee-Clemson, uh, Kate Klubnick, going to get a start because DJ DJU – as I'll call him, has hit the transfer portal. A few guys from Tennessee have hit the transfer portal too. I don't think we'll get Hendon Hooker back, but I do think this Tennessee offense going to put up plenty of points. A little bit of a contrast of styles here because Clemson not known for putting up points this year, even though they were able to do enough to win the uh, ACC championship. They Not a high-rolling offense, but Cade Klubnick, another game for him. And we'll see if this is a launching point for Clemson for next season. Little bit of down year by their standards, obviously, when it doesn't end in them in the playoffs, maybe even in the national championship game. That's kind of down year for them. But we'll see what uh we'll see what becomes of Clemson in the future, and we're gonna get a good glimpse of that. And we'll see if Tennessee is kind of a flash in the pan too, what they have behind Hooker and who else they have coming up on their roster. We'll see if Tennessee is a flash in the pan or if they're kind of for real. And so that's why I want Tennessee Clemson as my number one spot. And I'll I'll tune in and watch because it is the Orange Bowl. Clemson, a fantastic defensive front. I think they have three guys in their front seven who are going to be top 50 draft picks this year. I just want to see what it's going to do to my eyeballs. Because I imagine both of their end zones will be painted orange. The middle is going to be orange. I don't, I don't know how you determine who's the home team, who gets to wear what, or how those negotiations work. I just, I, hopefully Clemson wears their purple. Can they wear their purple jerseys to at least make life easier on the rest of us? Yeah, that's kind of what I'm hoping for is we get Clemson purple and Tennessee orange. So, I'd be, much, I, so much orange. I, so much orange, but yeah. Bonus game, though, I'm, I'm not kidding. If you're a sicko, 11 a.m. on December 31st on mm-hmm. ABC, Iowa, Kentucky, if you're a real sicko. Bet so. the under. Whatever the under is, bet the under. 
Uh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. There's there's going to be a grand total of 15 points in this game, and I, I say that as an Iowa fan. I mean, there's just no way with the defections on offense for Iowa and Kentucky that this game doesn't go under. So, If you're a Clemson or Tennessee fan, what color are you wearing to that game? You're wearing your orange, right? You're, <laughs> you're just wearing your orange, and you're just going for it, right? It's just going to be a sea of orange. And like I said, for a lot of factors that aren't football, it's going to be kind of entertaining because you'll have the crowd that will all be decked out in orange, but you don't know who's cheering for who. You'll have the teams decked out in orange. You'll have the fields orange. Oranges to the winner. I mean, come on. What's there not to like about the Orange Bowl? (laughs) There's our bowl season preview. We'll talk more here in a couple weeks, and we'll recap some of these bowl games, get you ready for what's our first bowl game to kick us off. Oh, man, Bahamas Bowl, UAB in Miami of Ohio. Sign me up. Uh, We're going to take a quick break from football here. We'll come back to the NFL here in a minute. But we have to get to one of our new features on the show that we just started two weeks ago. Andrew's NBA power rankings, the top five teams in the NBA. And, uh, again, I don't pay attention to the NBA really before Christmas or New Year's. But looking at the rankings, who's the best team in the top ten in their last ten games? Los Angeles Lakers, 8-2. and two. They've won three straight. Hey, props to them. They're still not making it into my top five <laughs> this week. They're still 13th in the West, but still. Yeah, yeah, it's been a heck of a comeback. We got to mention Anthony Davis because he has been unreal lately. Um, 55 and 17 last night and 44 and I believe 19 the night before. Just been on an absolute tear. So... Got got to mention him and got to mention the Lakers a little bit. Props to them for turning it around just a little bit. Don't know if it's going to be enough. We'll see. They got a long ways to go, as does every team right now. But to uh, get to my top five, I'm going to go with the teams that just missed in no particular order here. The Nuggets, the Grizzlies, and the Cavs just on the outside looking in of my top five number five can be best summed up in three words what are those three words beam team. light light the beam light the beam <laughs> you hear it every time this team wins in there the beam goes up the beam team number five sacramento kings they're fourth in offensive rating they're 16th now in defensive rating, which has them, you know, middle of the league rather than I believe the last time I came on here, they were around 25th. So they've risen up to 16th. They're right about average, ha- average out of 30 teams. So the defense has taken a step forward and it continues to take steps forward. I think that's right about where they're going to be defensively for the season is right around that. 15 to 18 mark as a defensive team and their offense is going to remain up in that top five range for the season 13 and nine they do have wins over the grizzlies they had a nice beat down of the pacers and halliburton's return to sacramento they absolutely destroyed them ran them off the court um kings are playing well so they're they're my number five team Another team that's gotten really hot, and they enter in at number four, 
They're now number two in the West, and that's the New Orleans Pelicans. They're coming in at number four for me. Um, they've looked really good. Whether or not Ingram's been out there, it doesn't matter who's been out there. Jose Alvarado's turning it on. This team is is really starting to gel, and I think they're the second best team in the West. So they're in at number four for me. Number three for me, and top three, I I feel like there's kind of a distinction. We're seeing a little bit of a separation between this top three and the rest of the league. So I, th- I think as we do this, my number four and number five are going to change quite frequently, but my top three will remain and maybe the order will change in some fashion throughout the year. But number three right now is the Phoenix Suns. Number one in the West, they've looked good even without Chris Paul and the absence of Chris Paul. Booker's been going off the rails lately, as he's, he seems to do from time to time. This goes absolutely nuclear. So they're my number three squad right now. Number two, and I'm probably going to flip-flop these two throughout the season. Number two, I'm going to go with Milwaukee. I'm going to put Milwaukee down at number two. Um, They had a, a rough loss to the Lakers the other night, although we talked about how the Lakers are turning it on a little bit now, eight and two in their last 10. But it was a rough loss to the Lakers nonetheless. Had some injury stuff go on. Had some games without Middleton, without Giannis. Middleton is back now, so that's a big boost for them. But their their offense is just a peg under the number one team, although their defense is quite a bit better. So it's really just what do you favor, offense or defense? I'll go with the the combination of the two and put the Celtics at the number one spot. Best record in the NBA, best offense in the NBA, middle of the pack defensively now in terms of defensive rating, um, which is a stat that I really favor. So I'm going to give the slight edge to the Celtics currently as it stands, but that is my top five. What happened to the Celtics and Suns both cratering due to off the field or off the court issues? Yeah, has not materialized, and you got to give a lot of credit to the guys that play for those teams and also um, just the way the organizations are built. So I I definitely, I could, I mean, there's still time in the NBA season. Don't rule anything out because we know in the NBA at any given moment, things can get really weird. Um, But I think it just speaks to – the overall stability of those organizations and the, and the guys on the team and how those rosters are made up. Um, we talk about the Celtics. I thought there'd be a massive coaching drop off. And it seems like Joe Missoula, who's coaching them now has been able to kind of fit in almost seamlessly. I do think though, that the coaching thing for the Celtics might reveal itself, not in the regular season, but maybe once we get to the postseason is where it could reveal itself. Udoka was huge for that team in the postseason. Um, all the adjustments he was able to make, we'll see. We haven't seen that from Missoula just simply because he's never been a head coach in the playoffs before. And we'll see about um, Chris Paul. I mentioned he's been out. We all know about the injury history of Chris Paul. 
So the Suns are sitting in my third spot right now. The Celtics are sitting in my number one spot. The Bucks are at number two. But to answer your question, it just it just hasn't happened quite yet, and I don't know if it will. So, is there anything to? Because Boston and Milwaukee by far have the best records. A couple games ahead of teams like Phoenix, New Orleans, Cavaliers. How much of that is owed to them feasting on the Eastern Conference and the East not being good, whereas the West is a little bit more jam-packed together year two through nine aren't really that far apart record-wise. This is just a meat grinder in the West, and those, the, the Bucks and Celtics are feasting on the Eastern Conference. Yeah, I mean, it is definitely a more of a grind in the Western Conference. I will say there's definitely more quality teams in the Western conference um, as we know it, but you do have some tanking teams too. I mean, you've got the Spurs tanking away there in the Western conference. So, um, but uh, also, you know, the NBA season is a grind. So the Celtics and the Bucks are going to have to face their fair share of Western conference teams as we go through uh, the next three quarters of the season. Cause we're about a fourth of the way through the season right now they're going to have to go through plenty of a grind for the rest of the season. We'll see how they stand up right now. Maybe they are feasting a little bit on Eastern conference foes, which is helping them out. But um, that's why I got to You know, I don't know. I, I still think even though they're maybe feasting on a little bit of the Eastern conference, it's still kind of clear when you watch those two how good they are and how they're in a, in a different class with the Phoenix Suns it's just kind of the eye test thing for me so um good question i do think the suns have a bit more of a grind than either of those other two teams you referenced though quick side tangent for a team that's well outside the top 5 the Dallas Mavericks are not good but Luka has probably been the best player in the league right now, at least as the leading scorer. Are they just going to continue? Are they even a threat in the West? Are they a team we expect to catch fire? Does this team have any way to make moves to get closer to Phoenix, New Orleans? Even looks like the Grizzlies and Nuggets are far ahead of them right now. Yeah, that's going to be, that's going to be the key. I mean, everybody didn't think that the loss of Brunson would be a huge thing for the Mavericks, but it it has been because there's nobody else that the Mavericks can give the ball to and really make plays. And they can give it to Dinwiddie a little bit, but that's not his best asset. He's more of a scorer. Um, And Christian Wood isn't really much of a playmaker. Again, he's more of an off the ball scorer, maybe throw it in the post to him. He can go make a move, make a bucket. They're so Luca dependent, and that's kind of the problem. And that's why Luca's stats look amazing. It's because he has to have the ball in his hands pretty much every moment he's on the court and they're on offense for them to even be successful on offense. And that's not a sustainable 82-game thing. As great as Luca is, as much as I love Luca, you you know, because I've talked about it, before I, I absolutely love Luka Doncic and he's clear front runner for MVP in in the early going of the MVP conversation, but not sustainable. And so yeah, I think you're spot on there. A move will have to be made. I don't know what that move is though. 
um, they don't have a lot of assets outside of Christian Wood and and Spencer Dinwiddie. So it'll be interesting. But yeah, they definitely need to make a move for another another playmaker, scorer, somebody else who can do something with the ball in their hands. That's not named Luka Doncic. Be interesting to see what they can do because he has made me a believer and has them. His personal performance is great. See if they can build something around him now that I'm on the Luka bandwagon. Yep. Yep. Go ahead. Oh, no. I was, I was going to start our basketball trivia game. Let's, let's hear it. Let's go ahead. So, in this week's trivia game, I have selected five NBA championship teams. We're going to see how many of the starting five you can name from said team. So, the, these these are all in your lifetime. I'm not going to make you do like the 1972 bucks or something. Okay. So, yeah. so, starting here, the team that launched the dynasty, the 2015 Warriors. Oh, um, that's Curry, Thompson, Draymond. Correct, correct, correct. Iguodala. Correct. And, uh, oh, man. It's escaping me right now. Uh, most most Bates? Incorrect. They call him yeah. a power forward, but I question his size as a power forward. Also, if anybody has any complaints, these are from Sporkle, so uh, the wonderful quiz website. That's who they list as the starting five. Yeah, most Bates was on that team. Oh, man. That wasn't David Lee, was it? This guy is as close to you as any player on this list. Geographically. As close to me as any player on this list geographically. Like you maybe would have played each other in high school. I don't know if that was your lineup at all. Mm. Why am I blanking on this guy right now? I'm going to hate myself after you have to tell me. How many Iowa high school players went on to long NBA careers and were maybe the number one college recruit? Not too many. Harrison Barnes. Oh, Harrison Barnes. Wow. What am I talking about? Come I, on, man. I was on. Pride of Ames. Him and Dougie McBuckets. Yep, yep. So wow. Got, got four out of five on that one. Let's go back a couple years to the 2011 Dallas Mavericks. Their only Jason, championship. Jason Kidd, Dirk Nowitzki. Got the big two. Tyson Chandler. There we go. This was like a team that just decided to go scoop up every veteran and go get a title. Jason Terry. Incorrect. According to this, the Jet came off the bench. Oh, yep. Sean Marion. There we go. It's the weirdest shot you've ever seen. And Josh Howard. Incorrect. We're looking for another guard. You, you, the, this We're guy looking for toughest. another guard. This is, this is the toughest one, but I think he was on oh. the Mavericks for maybe 20 years. Maybe 20 years? Berea? There you go, J.J. Berea. Yeah, he was on for a long time. Not quite 20 years, but yeah, that was Berea. Okay. Uh, Going back even further to probably my favorite team of all time, I don't know why, the 2004 Pistons. Oh, Phillips, Hamilton, Prince, uh, Rasheed Wallace, Ben Wallace. See, why is that team so memorable? Um, Because they were the ultimate in teamwork and they beat the Lakers super team. Speaking of Lakers super team, the one that started it all, the 2000 Lakers. Yeah, Kobe Shaq. There you um, go. Two obvious ones. Yeah, 
um, Ori, Fox. Now, see, this is where it gets tricky. Those guys were all part, well, I think they were on the roster in the 99. Those guys were kind of the stars of the next two of their three-peat. 99-2000, they scrounged up some veterans to start. Glenn Rice. Glenn Rice. There you go. Um, AC Green, Samaki Walker. AC Green was the power forward. We're still looking for the point guard. Yeah, Derek Fisher. Incorrect. He was the he was the guard. Oh, hey, Ron Ron Harper. Ron, Ron Harper. Harper. There it is. Yeah, yeah. And going back the furthest in time for this week's edition of the game, some people call them the greatest basketball team of all time, the '96 Bulls, '95 '96 Bulls. Hey, Ron Harper again. There you go. Look at you. He won. He won four titles in five years. Yeah, yeah. Ron Harper, one of the greats, man. Um, Jordan. Pippen, Kukoc, Longley, or did Kukoc come off the bench? Rodman, Rodman, Longley. <laughs> Rodman, Longley, I did, I did not expect you to go Kukoc over Rodman yet. Uh, Kukoc no. was the sixth man. And then pulling out Luke Longley. Man, look at you. Yeah. So yeah. Literally, literally, <laughs> this whole I miss thing- Harrison Barnes. I'm really upset. I mean, I'm, I miss Harrison Barnes. Yeah, 24 out of 25, and the one you missed was Harrison Barnes. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed. <laughs> Impressive showing. We usually never do that well on trivia, but you crushed that. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, I was a freak. I used to uh, in class when I was in elementary school. I used to actually sit down and write out rosters, NBA rosters, on like a notepad Nerd. from memory. Like I played a lot of NBA Live and stuff. Like I'd remember. Like I'd memorize the rosters. And like I'd be in class instead of writing notes on whatever was going on in class, I'd be writing down like the names and positions of the guys on the rosters from the nineties, two thousands. I wonder if I still have those notebooks somewhere because I'm pretty sure I do. So yeah, that once you said name the guys on this rosters, I was I was licking my chops because I was like, Oh, this is I've been built for this. And your teacher said that would said that would never come in handy. Oh yeah. They they knew. They knew I would be prepared for this moment. <laughs> who did needs, I win who needs cool? math and history? Did I win something cool? Uh, my love and affection. Great. Adoration. All right. All right. Good. All right, man. That's great. That's good enough for me. So uh, one, one game here we're going to do, and then we'll get to our quick wrap up on UFC. Last week, we picked some AFC quarterbacks. This week, we're going to find out what Andrew, the GM, would do with our NFC franchise. We're not going to go team by team. I'm just going to look at the ones here that kind of have the most question marks. And the football gods gave us a gift for this game this week. As we start with the San Francisco 49ers, Jimmy Garoppolo with the almost season-ending foot injury. It sounds like it's not too severe. And if they're around for maybe the division or conference championship game, he could feasibly come back given his rehabilitation. But now the rest of the world gets to know what those of us in Iowa learned about Brock Purdy over the last half decade. And it's been fun listening to these national pundits all talk like they know Brock Purdy. But if you are the San Francisco 49ers, you've got Jimmy Garoppolo, Trey Lance, Brock Purdy. And you're looking to your quarterback situation for 2023 and beyond. What are How are you handling this with these three guys in play? Yeah, well, I thought maybe more of the question was going to be like, what do I do now? Um any way you would like to cut it, I will. I mean, I 
came on the show preseason, early season, and was a huge fan of Trey Lance. I still don't think we've seen enough of Trey Lance to say what he is or isn't. And you invested that much draft capital into a guy at the quarterback spot. I think next year you're really uh, you're you, you can't not put Trey Lance back out there, right? I mean, you were prepared to do it at the beginning of this year. I I don't see how if he's healthy, you wouldn't say we got to get Trey Lance out there. So. Are you if running I'm the, Jimmy G walk then? Um, it really depends on what kind of money Jimmy G. Hmm. Man, this is a tough decision, but uh, this is why I'm not ever going to be an NFL GM in my lifetime because I think I'd sit here and debate this for hours in my head without making any real decision. Um, I'm not necessarily letting Jimmy G walk. I'm seeing if I can pull off a trade before I let him walk. (laughs) A Jimmy G trade. I don't know what I can get back, but cannot let him walk for nothing. Uh, I don't, I think some team's going to pay him starter money, right? I mean, there's going to be some sort of a team out there that's desperate for a quarterback that doesn't get one in the draft that's paying him starter money. Like the Panthers, for example, maybe we'll get to them in a second, but uh, I could, I could see that, but. Maybe I'm trying to work some sort of a draft night trade with Jimmy Garoppolo and then move forward with Trey Lance. And if Brock Purdy works out, you know you've at least got a workable backup. There you go. That's the that's that might be the blessing in disguise for the 49ers, and maybe they will be comfortable with letting Jimmy Garoppolo walk if Brock Purdy shows them something over the next couple games here. Staying in that division, going up the coast to Seattle. You got Geno Smith. He's impressed everybody. They're leading the division or in the hunt for the division with the Niners now. Look like a playoff team, and nobody saw this career renaissance coming from Geno. You've got Drew Locke as your backup. Are you rolling with those two? You're probably going to have a late draft pick, but they do have Denver's first rounder this year due to the Russell Wilson trade. The way the Broncos are playing, you may be in that Will Levis, Bryce Young, CJ Stroud conversation. Are you looking to make a trade or are you going to run it back with Gino? I think unless you're just absolutely blown away by, like you said, Stroud, Young, Levis, and one of them, the one that you're blown away by falls into your lap, I think you're drafting for the future here and you're really just um, – I'm willing to go a whole another year with Geno Smith as the quarterback – and really just kind of try to do kind of what the Cowboys did in the early days of Dak Prescott, where they had like this offensive line built up around him. And then they drafted Dak, not in the first round, but actually in the fourth round they drafted Dak, but he was so successful because the offensive line around him was so good. And I still think the Seahawks have a need in that area. They have other needs that they can fill offensive line defense, I think they've got their running back of the future with Kenneth Walker. They've got a solid um, top-tier receiver with DK Metcalf. So maybe you're looking at more we- adding more weapons in the passing game 
you're looking at offensive line, you're looking at defensive additions. You gotta, um, yeah, I think there's other things you can do to build your team if you're the Seahawks. And so I'm comfortable with keeping Gino around for one more year. And I don't want to get into the Rams here because they just picked up Baker, which it is its own separate situation. But they are tied to Stafford for three more years. They have a potential out after the 2025 season. But unless he retires due to injury and then they have to ride with Baker, the Rams are they better hope that he gets healthy here quick because that's a huge investment for them. Uh, going, let's, let's go to the East. I don't think there's a lot going on in the East. You have to expect Dak and Jalen Hurts will be back. Start with the Giants. This may be the most curious one in the entire league. Daniel Jones had a decent year. This was kind of his make-or-break year, and now the Giants are in the playoff hunt as a wild-card team, whether or not you think he's responsible for that or the defense or Brian Dable. What are you doing with Danny Dimes? I think you've seen enough to know he's not your franchise quarterback. It's a little bit like what I said with – the Seahawks, unless you get a guy that just absolutely falls in your lap, there's no real reason to reach. They're desperate for a wide receiver. I don't know what the contract situation is with Danny Dimes. If they would have to uh, extend him, pick up his fifth-year option, whatever. Um, But I think the bigger need is wide receiver, and this is a pretty good wide receiver draft. So depending on where you end up, because the Giants are in the middle of actually making a run at the playoffs, which I don't know if that's advisable for the Giants to even make a run at the playoffs. I would almost rather see them kind of tank off here and do a little bit of a draft pick positioning because I don't think they're a serious threat to win it all. They're completely decimated at wide receiver. They have bigger needs than quarterback. So I think this is a weight on quarterback. Either you run back another year of Daniel Jones next year, or you find some sort of a stopgap like a Baker Mayfield that you believe in for a year. You can roll that out there for a year. You know you're probably not winning the Super Bowl next year, this year. You're building for the future. You kind of need to get a a star wide receiver in there, some weapons around any type of future quarterback. So that's that's what I think about the Giants. I think it's a wait and see mode. If if I'm reading, and I never know how to say if it's Spotrack or Spotrack. Anyway, I like their website for the contracts, but I'm not totally understanding the Daniel Jones. Looks like he may have one more year left on his deal, but the Giants. It does feel like Brian Dable wants to do his own thing and build his own roster. He's already shed a lot of guys, brought in a lot of new talent. I wonder if this is a place where a Teddy Bridgewater goes or a Derek Carr, maybe Jimmy Garoppolo, a proven veteran who you know can win games. Is, is this some place where the Giants may be a quarterback? And like you said, they definitely need wide receivers. If they are if they make those two adjustments, they may be in contention. I think they may be stuck going back with him, but I would definitely look at, hey, you know, call up the Raiders and see what it would take to get Derek Carr. Yeah, that's that's certainly a possibility. Or like you said, Jimmy G, I think, might be a more feasible, cheaper option because I don't think if you're the Giants, you're in a in a place where you want to keep the picks you have 
maybe acquire additional picks. You're maybe willing to spend in free agency, or maybe that's maybe that's the way that the Giants go. Is maybe they're a trade up candidate. I could see, I could see a Seahawks Giants trade. I could see the Seahawks saying we're comfortable with another year of Gina. We got uh, the Broncos pick and a whole host of other picks from the Russell Wilson trade. We'll we'll go ahead and trade down and actually acquire more picks because we have more needs. And if the Giants want to go ahead and move up for their quarter, what they think could be their quarterback of the future because they don't want to spend on Jimmy G. I almost feel like a Seahawks-Giants trade makes a little bit of sense. Seahawks love trading away picks. And... Yeah. And the Giants should be in acquire picks mode. Absolutely. So, And then you have the Washington Commanders who, again, if I'm interpreting this right, they can be out of Carson Wentz after this deal. There's a potential out there. Otherwise, they'd have him for uh, two more seasons. You've also got Taylor Heineke, who's keeping a minute. You've got Sam Howell as a rookie backup. Would you let Would you let Wentz walk in favor of Heineke? Do you, a lot of cooks in the kitchen here for the commanders. Yeah, I, I think you got to move off of Carson Wentz. Um, unfortunately... The injuries have just completely zapped him, and I think you're comfortable. And you've seen Heineke lead the team to the playoffs, essentially. And uh, man, they, this might be another team in the the good old Jimmy Garoppolo sweepstakes. Uh, it might be a Giants Commanders race for Jimmy Garoppolo's services. Because, again, their pick's not high enough to where they're going to be in that quarterback range unless, again, these quarterbacks that we've talked about, Stroud, Young, um, whoever, fall for whatever reason. So, But I don't really see Stroud and Young falling. I could see maybe Levis falling. I could see Anthony Richardson falling. I, I'm not sure if you view those guys as potential franchise guys or not, and that's really – the question for the commanders. So I, I think the giants and the the commanders are in on the Jimmy Garoppolo sweepstakes next year, or maybe some other sort of a, an angle opens up quarterback wise that we, we can't see right now. And I, I, I set you up to fail. I did not give you the full details. Heineke will be an unrestricted free agent this year. So if they, they, if they want him, they have to decide they're going to pay him to keep him around. Yeah. Um, I think they could do that a lot. It's a lot cheaper probably to do that, keep Heineke, than, you know, it costs something to spend a first-round pick on a quarterback and then not have it pan out. I'd much rather stick with the steadiness, the known commodity of Taylor Heineke, and again, build up that infrastructure with my picks around a potential franchise quarterback and kind of, build for the future that way and still remain somewhat competitive in the meantime with Heineke as the quarterback. So, uh, and this, this year is not a fantastic quarterback free agency class. Tom Brady's going to be the big one out there. Lamar Jackson, we touched on last week. I don't expect Lamar Jackson to leave Baltimore, but we'll see if somebody throws a lot of money at him, but Brady and Lamar Jackson, Jimmy G, I think are the three big ones. Then you kind of get to that next tier, guys. We've talked about Danny Dimes, Geno Smith, 
And then you're looking at a lot more of the, the Jacoby Brissett's, Andy Dalton's, Heineke's, Bridgewater's. A lot of those maybe bridge quarterbacks or spot starters. I think you really only have Brady, Lamar, and Jimmy G as your three. You would really consider foundational franchise quarterbacks. So shallow, shallow talent pool for at least high-end starters. So probably going to make the market value for those guys go up. Yeah, uh, to- totally agree. But I don't think uh, the Giants and the Commanders are legitimate Brady landing spots. Yeah, and fair point. <laughs> well, we'll come back to your north here at the end. We'll go down to the NFC South where, dare I say, since we talked about Tom Brady, every one of these teams, if you want to do any or all or none, you've got the Falcons. They brought in Mariota to basically, it feels like, be the bridge as they bring Desmond Ritter along. The Panthers now just have Sam Darnold and P.J. Walker after the Baker Mayfield walk. The Saints have Andy Dalton and Jameis. And then the Bucks are going as long as, as far as Tom Brady will take them. Blaine Gabbert and Kyle Trask are the backups on their depth chart right now. So in the NFC South, are basically are any of these quarterbacks going to be back next year? Or are we going to see four new starters in this division? Yeah, I can definitely see... Man, and like the the Tampa thing, it seems like I mean they're gonna win the division, but it seems like Brady is is ready to maybe move on from Tampa. Uh, there's a little bit of frustration there. I think we're for sure gonna see three new starters in this division. A uh, Tampa Bay is really the one that I'm not sure about. I think we're gonna see the other three have a new starter at the beginning of the year next year with Atlanta. I don't know if it's, if it's Ritter or not. I think the Falcons and the Panthers and the saints are both going to be, all of them are going to be trying to tank and trying to inject themselves into that Stroud Bryce young race. And I don't know. I don't know if they will, but I, that's what I really felt like Atlanta was doing by bringing in Mariota. I didn't, I didn't think that they were seriously contending um, or being in the position they are, but I, I didn't count on how bad the NFC South was going to be, how bad the NFC as a whole was going to be to where the Falcons are still in the playoff hunt. So are the Panthers, nobody in this team. That's the really weird thing about this NFC South thing is none of these teams are out of the playoff hunt yet. Technically. I mean, they they could all still come back and win their division, and that could frame like how they what they do with their quarterback position. But as it stands now, I think we'll see three different quarterbacks, ex- except Tampa Bay. I could see Tom coming back. I could see Tom leaving. It's two fifty fifty for me to tell on that one right now. My question with Brady is, if he leaves, where would he go? It, the Raiders seem to be a logical landing spot with Josh McDaniels. We know Derek Carr wants out. I've heard people talk about New England just to run it back, but there's also heard people on the know say there's a lot of hurt feelings there. Why would he go back? Just you look at these landing spots, and yes, there's a lot of spots open, but Brady's going to be able to pick his spot just because you have an opening doesn't mean Brady has any interest in you. To me, to me, the one that stands out would be the Raiders, unless the Niners just want to welcome him back home to the Bay Area and they get rid of both Jimmy G and Trey Lance, which. They seem a bit short-sighted, but if you're if you're the Niners and you're that good, you're just a quarterback away. Maybe it is worth it. So the Raiders are the one that stand out to me. Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought up the Niners because that's a lot of the talk that I've heard is 
maybe he wants to bolt and go to the Niners. But then again, what do you do with Jimmy G? What do you do with Trey Lance? Um, Don't forget Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy oh, came late this year. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Thank you. Um, yeah, real heated quarterback battle between Tom Brady and Brock Purdy <laughs> if that's how it materializes. What if I'm he sure. beats Tom Brady this week head to head? They're playing each other. What if Brock Purdy outduels Tom Brady? I'm I'm conflicted. I don't know who to root for as an Iowa fan and a massive Tom Brady hater. I I don't know who to root for in that scenario. So George Kittle, that's who I'm rooting for. Let's go. Um, anyways, yeah, I don't know. I think I'd be okay with Brock Purdy beating Tom Brady. I think I'd be okay with it. You heard it here first, folks. But anyways, <laughs> uh, yeah, like you said, a lot of interesting scenarios that could play out with. With Tom Brady, uh, maybe, maybe he'll just call it a day. Maybe he will just call it a day. So, I don't know. There's always that potential as well. I I think Stroud or Bryce Young is going to end up with the Panthers. I think if I think Brady will come back if he leaves. I think it'd be the Raiders or Niners. But my money would be on him coming back. I think Desmond Ritter takes over for the Falcons. The Saints are the ones I can't quite figure out. They're playing well enough not to have a great draft pick. But maybe they do stick with Andy Dalton and kind of wait for uh, Caleb Williams or somebody in the future to come out. I, the Saints are the ones I can't quite figure out what they're doing unless they want to get in the the lottery for one of the veterans. But, you know, would they shell out money for Lamar Jackson? Something like that. I don't. I don't see the Saints as a big spender team. No, and uh, they're they're pretty much so pressed for cap space that I don't think they can be a big sure. spender team, even if they wanted to. So. They, they do this weird thing where they draft well and keep their guys. It's a strange concept. Yeah, well, um, they're going to need to do that at the quarterback spot then because they are they are in a desperate situation at the quarterback spot, I, I think. so. And we end with the NFC North. Justin Fields and the Bears, no change there. Kirk Cousins, I think, has a lifetime contract with the Vikings that keeps getting extended. I think I think the Lions run it back with Jared Goff. Their offense is doing great. They're playing themselves out of the the high draft picks. So that leaves us with one glaring team with the capital G at your quarterback situation. Mr. Packer, is it time to say Sayonara to Aaron Rodgers? Is it is the Jordan Love era here? What are we doing up in the frozen north? Well, well hang on. I'm not so sure that the Lions are gonna just run it back because remember they have the Rams pick. And that 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 Rams pick is going to be a very high pick, given the fact that Stafford is injured. Um, I I don't foresee the Rams winning another game this year. So, the Lions, not from their own pick, because they have their own pick too, are going to be in a position where they will have a top three draft pick by virtue of the Stafford trade. So they're going to be right in that Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud race. And I think they're taking one of those two. I mean, Jared Goff has done well, but we see the talent of Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud, and it's just different. And if one of those two guys is truly a franchise quarterback, I think maybe both of them are good enough to be that. I'd, I'd rather have the potential of that than Jared Goff being who he is. Um, decent, but going to turn over the ball a lot and throw a lot of interceptions and not a, a very high ceiling there. So 
think you you gotta go all in on Stroud and or Bryce Young if you're the Lions. So I think that's exactly what they'll do. They'll they'll take Stroud or or Young with their Rams pick, and they'll roll with it. Um, and then you have Green Bay. It's going to be a very interesting thing. Um, personally, I, I'm okay. I think that this could be it. I think this could be the end of the line for Aaron Rodgers. And I don't mean as in go to a new team. I think he could just be done after this season. Um, I think that's really the consideration there for green Bay is, and it it's kind of in his court, right? He's, he's either going to say I'm done with football or I'm not done with football. And if he's not done with football, then he will be the quarterback of the green Bay Packers next season for better or worse. Um, but I really envision him saying, that's it for me. Uh, it's been a good career and it's time to go. So I, I think that's, what's going to happen. I think we're going to see Aaron Rodgers hang it up. I think we're going to see oh. Tom Brady maybe hang it up. I think we're going to see both of them go out at the same time. So Rodgers going to retire on a six and 11 record. Ooh, and I, I don't know about six and 11. Let's, let's not get hasty now. Let's not get hasty now. I think they're I'm not saying they're gonna make the playoffs or anything, but I think they'll do something better than six and eleven. So we'll see. We'll see. Be be very shocked and stunned if it happens, but I can't say anybody in the NFC North would be mad about it. Um, yeah, you're right. They would be they would be rejoicing. They've they've taken their beatings at his hands over the years, they'd be ready they'd be ready to be done. So, yep. And now that we've given you all the inside track on what's going to happen with the quarterbacks for the next year, next couple of years, want to not can get into the whole UFC like I planned. We'll save that. There's only really one big card coming up before the end of the year. It's UFC 282 coming up this weekend. First off, feels like a World Cup inspired card. A lot of countries represented. USA, of course, Brazil, of course. We've also got South Africa, Venezuela, Mexico, Suriname, Georgia, United Kingdom, Argentina, Poland, and Russia. It feels like they're doing a good job tying and making this an international event. But UFC 282 this Saturday night in Las Vegas, the big title, the light heavyweight interim, I don't know if it's interim belt, but uh, Yuri Prochaska, the champion, injured his shoulder, so he's out for an extended period of time. Former champion Jan Blahovich taking on Magomed Ankalaya. The impressive thing here is that Blahovich is the underdog. He's plus 225, so I'm pouring money on that all day. Ankalaya is part of the, I believe, part of the Dagestani group with Habib, kind of taking over the UFC. A very fearsome fighter, but Blahovich has been to the mountaintop before. And this fight has a lot of guys who they don't look intimidating, but would probably snap your neck with one finger. Jan Blahovic looks like he would actually destroy you, though. If you don't know what I'm talking about, look up Patty Pimblett. He's uh, fighting in the, the second bout from the top. He's a heavy favorite. I would also bet money on that. You're not going to get his good returns, but Patty Pimblett's one of those fun guys who's the future. Does not look like a fighter, but you put him in that cage and he can tear people apart. Jan Blahovic looks ferocious. I think he'll take this one. Should be a fantastic bout between the two for the light heavyweight bout. So Blahovic and Pimblett are my two bets there. 
Um, Rice Mitchell, if you're looking for somebody further down the car, Garzino, Reisenstruck is another one. So an, an all right UFC 282 card, and uh, they're really queuing up a lot of their big fighters for next January and February. Yeah, I mean, this UFC 282, it's the the only thing it's about is building the legend of, of Patty the Batty. That's that's what this is. It's getting Patty the Batty out there in the octagon and promoting him as the UFC's next big star. It's it's kind of been coming for a while now, and this is only going to add to that. And so, Patty the Batty, that's what it's about this Saturday at UFC 282. The interesting route for him, he's currently has he been ranked? This is a lightweight bout. Where is he at in the rankings? That he, if he if he's fighting in lightweight, he's probably fighting in the toughest division they have. There we have Islam Makachev, Charles Oliveira, Dustin Poirier, Justin Gaethje, uh, Dariush, Chandler, Hooker, Dos Anjos, and your old pal Conor McGregor may still be floating around. So he, he may be coming up the ranks, but like you say, he's one of those big personalities. They want to strap the rocket to and shoot him to the moon. He just needs to get those wins to justify the hype. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly what I mean. Is he's got the big time personality that they they want to promote. He's kind of they're kind of building him up to be the next Conor McGregor. I don't know if he's that good. Not saying he's that good to anybody listening. That's kind of what I feel like the UFC wants him to be. So, not sure if that's what he will be, but that's I feel like that's what they want. Definitely what Dana White wants. I think that's what they're after, except for making Patty Pimblett a lot more likable. I think you just look at him; he seems that that Q score is a lot more there for him. I think he's comes off as a much more likable guy. And uh, Molly, whatever Meatball Molly, Meatball oh, yeah. Molly, and and Pat, Patty Pimblett. I mean, we've aren't those the barstool sponsored fighters now? So oh, are they? I don't know. And then well, you got Sugar Sugar Sean O'Malley, who they've pushed to the mood, and now he's finally got the wins that after he beat Piotr Jan. They've wanted him to be the big star for a while. He was really low in the rankings, but yeah, they've got this next generation of big personalities. They can be the you know the next McGregor and Rousey. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure Barstool Sports uh, sponsors Patty Pimblett. So uh, don't be surprised if you see Dave Portnoy ringside at that one. There's don't they don't they have a bowl game? Isn't there some bowl game you can only watch on Barstool? Yeah, Barstool has their own bowl game. I I can't remember what bowl game it is, but yeah. Uh, apparently that's a thing now. So whether you okay. like it or not, let's get our own bowl game. How do we make that Barstool, happen? Yeah. Oh yeah, the sports gospel bowl game. I mean, who, who get yeah, calling some favors? Get Drake Where Stadium on the line. What? Get Drake Stadium on the line. <laughs> All right, we'll get Drake Stadium on the line for the for the sports gospel bowl game. Um, not sure who's going to play in it, but uh, we'll we'll figure it out. <laughs> Uh, one more quick thing before we duck out of here. The World Cup, we're into the round of eight, as I see. Again, I have not paid attention. It, I did find it amusing how we were all in on the World Cup. The U.S. lost. U.S. lost, and then we had a great weekend of football, and suddenly nobody cares. I haven't heard anything about it. It kind of felt like the first weekend of the NCAA tournament with March Madness where we get all excited because like a 15 beat a two, and then the next weekend we're down to all one seeds. So this week in our round of eight, Netherlands versus Argentina, Croatia versus Brazil. I'm going to go with two South American countries there. England and France, which is probably feels like the Duke, North Carolina equivalent of world soccer. And then the 
I would say probably the one Cinderella based on my limited knowledge of world soccer, Morocco beating Spain by penalty kicks. Don't know how all that works, but they tied 0-0 and Morocco won. And then Portugal destroyed Switzerland. So a fun uh, Straits of Gibraltar battle there with Morocco and Portugal. And I think I'm going to go with the favorites, unfortunately. England, France, give me England, Portugal, Brazil, and Argentina. How's that for betting odds? I'll I'll take France over England, and I will take Morocco. Ooh, I like to continue the Cinderella run. And if you've never watched PKs, it's the most exhilarating thing in all of sports. It's it's one of the most exhilarating things that there is. Um, in the World Cup, they played ninety minutes plus whatever stoppage time. And then a 30-minute overtime period, so 120 minutes of soccer at least. And if the score's tied after that, then it goes to penalty kicks. Each team gets, I believe it is, five kicks, and whoever makes more in the net out of those five is the winner. And uh, we had a couple games in the round of 16 come down to that because um, Croatia advanced over – Japan on penalty kicks as well. So we had two games in the round of 16 come down to penalty kicks. And that's, uh, that's some real high drama stuff. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of penalty kicks, even if I'm not the biggest fan of soccer, actually had a friend who played college in soccer, played goalie. And, um, I was nervous for him a couple of times because I attended a few games where, he was the goalie defending penalty kicks, and that was just absolutely nerve-wracking, even though I wasn't out on the field myself. Uh, it's a, it's one of the most nerve-wracking things in all of sports. It's like if you uh, decided a basketball game with your two best players playing one-on-one from top of the key, uh, that's that's what it'd be, be like. It'd be like, next basket wins. Um in a one-on-one match after overtime. So I, I like penalty kicks. I like it. I think yeah, it's I, a great way to decide a game. I do not envy soccer goalies. That feels like one of the most stress-inducing roles to have in all of sports. You one-on-one, oh. there's a giant net behind you. Cover it all. It's it's impossible, and it's absolutely unbelievable when a goalie blocks a penalty kick because, yeah, just given the massive amount of net that they have to cover – as a as a goalie, it's just unbelievable, and that you're doing it against what someone who's literally built to put the ball in the back of the net. I think it's a pretty incredible achievement, and that's what Morocco did, right? Um, their goalie stopped one, and that's what allowed them to advance. So that's one of the incredible achievements in in sports is blocking a penalty kick. It's up there. Well. Let's let's go Morocco then. Again, yeah. my 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 head says Portugal, but my heart says go Morocco. Yeah, and then I don't think I gave my pick um, for the other two, and I will take Brazil, but I will take the Netherlands. I think they looked like uh, they looked like the very classy team. Argentina's shown that they've been a little bit susceptible. The loss to Saudi Arabia was rough, and I think Netherlands has another gear that they can get to that they they got to against the United States that they'll just continue to get to. Um, so I'll, I'll take the Netherlands over Argentina. So a couple of upsets coming from me. It's going to be a jam-packed week of soccer. 
football, sorry, international fans. Exciting month of sports coming up here as we lead towards Christmas and the holidays. Basketball, hockey, World Cup, UFC, baseball hot stove, money's getting thrown out left and right. We'll get to that here in a couple weeks. We thank you all for joining us on this extra long episode. Had a lot to get in here. We thank you all for joining us. We will see you episode 85 of the Sports Gospel next week. Thank you. Mm -hmm.